something's got a hold on me. Maybe you're here today and you feel like something's got a hold on you and you just can't put your finger on it, but you know something ain't right. You know that, uh, you know, you're giving your heart and life to Jesus and you, and you hear about, Lord, if, if, if Jesus is wanting to make me free and, and, uh, and all the captives have uh, been set free, but I feel like I'm in bondage. I feel like that, that things keep coming against me or things keep repeating themselves in my life that, that's not right or I'm dealing with a strong situation of, of sin in my life or something and, and I just don't understand what's going on. Well, I hopefully today, I want you to know, first of all, that you're not the only one going through that. I want to read to you uh, a passage in Romans chapter 7. Now, the Apostle Paul was, this is after Pentecost. This is, this is after he, he knew, you know, he was a, a, an experienced person as a believer. He had already been blinded on the Damascus road, and, and he was Saul persecuting the church, killing Christians. But now, Paul he, he, he becomes transparent. He shares something with us, and sometimes we, we identify with it even though we don't want to admit it. Listen to what he said. He said, the law is good then, Revela- or, or Romans 7, verse 14. The trouble is not with the law, but the trouble is with me because I am sold in slavery with sin as my master. I don't understand myself at all, for really I want to do what is right, but he said, Sometimes I don't do it. Does that speak to you? Sometimes you know what to do is right, but you do right the opposite. Well, Paul said the same thing. He said, instead, I do the very thing that I dislike, that I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong. And my bad conscience shows that I agree with the, that the law is good, but I seem to can't help myself because sin inside me makes me do things, participate things, think things, participate in things that are not right. They're wrong. Now, is this Paul agreeing that we ought to do life wrong, that we ought to sin, or we ought to to, uh, to transgress? No. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a struggle that every believer has. And the struggle doesn't open us up to do what we want to do. It just identifies what's going on on the inside. You see, some of you people, you'll be honest. You'll come to a a counselor or you come to my office and say, I'm going to tell you what, preacher, Mike, I got a real problem with this. But some of you live thinking that if you don't expose it, you can deal with it all by yourself. And chances are most of you can't. Now, I want to speak on that today because Paul soundboards it in Hebrews 12 when he says this. Therefore, since we've surrounded, we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. Now, I want you to know you are surrounded by people looking on you on this earth, but also people are looking on us down here from heaven. That's a crowd of witnesses from heaven and also here human witnesses. Then Paul says this, the same one just wrote Romans 7, and said the struggle he was having, he said, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Now, what is he saying? 
He's in the King James Version, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and this sin which so easily besets us, so easily entangles us, trips us up. You know what that's saying? It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Paul or everyone in this house today, somewhere you have a weak link. You know what that means? Somewhere you have a flesh issue, and let me tell you who knows all about it. Satan does. Satan knows about your flesh issue. He knows what a a demon to assign to your... You say, Mike, you mean to tell me you believe in demons? Absolutely. If you believe the Bible, you have to. Satan will assign a demon to your weak fleshed area. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that assignment can he plow in unless we commit it. When you open that door, when you bring in that activity and you create or you participate in that sin encroachment, I promise you, demons are coming. And most of the time, it ain't just one. You say, well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the sin that so easily hinders your spiritual progress. Now, some of you can say, well, you know what? In 1995, I was so on fire for the God. I was close to God, and then all of a sudden, I backslid. All of a sudden, I just, my life fell apart, and I, did, I didn't act like a believer. I didn't talk like a believer. I didn't look like one. But now I've repented. I've actually turned back to God, and God's number one. Well, as you have turned back and repented, I want you to know Satan is not impressed with you. Because if he knows you'll flip on him or flip on God one time, you'll do it again. So we've got some work to do. We've got some things to show, not only ourselves, but the enemy, before we're going to get him to back down. James 1.14 says this. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own what? Lust and uh, and enticed. You see, temptation can only be temptation if it looks good. There are some of you that you might not like tomato juice. So I can tell you this, if the enemy comes and tells me that he wants me to drink tomato juice, that is no temptation to me. I hate tomato juice. I don't even like tomatoes, but I like ketchup. I know that's weird. Some of you, maybe in the past, you're, you're, as a teenager, I used to do those things since we got kids in here. I ain't going to name it. But those things, as I got older and got smarter, I repented of it, and he can't tempt me of that. Well, he could, but he don't. You want to know why? Because it's not an allurement to me. It don't look good to me. It don't appeal to me. But there's some things in here, and I don't care who you are. I don't care what your name is. Satan knows what you like to look at. He knows what you like to think about. He, likes, he, he knows what you like to participate that's not good. 
You see, that's what temptation is to sin. And he does it by enticing us. He does it by trying to trip us up. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4, 27, that you and I are not to give place to the devil. Now, first of all, the word devil means diabolos. That's the Greek word for devil. And here's what that means. It means one who divides through the use of lies and accusations, for Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Now, let me tell you something what he means here. Don't give place to the enemy. You know what that means? Don't open up your life in the flesh anywhere, anywhere, because when you open your life up, In any area of flesh, Satan will take that territory and make it a foothold. Do you hear me? If we had, and we do, by choice, we have the capacity to say, because Jesus died on the cross for all sin, forgave all sin, but that doesn't mean you're not going to sin. What that means is he broke the power of sin. Just as Paul was struggling in Romans 7 after Pentecost, he's a believer. He says, you're going to struggle, but you're not going to struggle if you don't like sugar pops or Kellogg's flakes or Raisin Bran. You're not going to struggle with that. But if you like Rice Krispies and you love Rice Krispies, you're going to struggle that way. Because that is a weakness in your flesh. And some of you will talk, we'll get a little bit more serious with this in a moment. Because some of you has so just put just a small sin list out there. Drinking, cussing, murder. You, you've, you've developed it down to a small list of the Ten Commandments by which God never intended for us to break the Ten Commandments. I just, he didn't want us to. And when we do, it's sin. But here today, I just want you to know that Satan, his, his, his goal is for you and I to give territory, to give, to give uh, topos, topography, ground, land in this flesh to him. That's what he wants. Because once we give it to him, He's going to begin to build, in a moment, we'll see a fortress. You say, well, what is one of those? Identify it, Mike. Oh, I'm going to. I'm not going to generalize this one. Because you see, Ephesians 4.26 says, Do not let your anger go down or let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? Some of you goody-two-shoes that act so sweet and so sinless around me, when you go home and you're around your husband or you're around your kids or you're around somebody you don't like and they make you mad, you get angry. You know what the Bible says? Nothing wrong with us getting angry as long as it's righteous anger and righteous indignation. But if that anger carries over to the next day, it is sin. Now, I want to ask y'all a question. Who comes in your presence that you don't like, that angers you, 
it, it builds up resentment in you. You see, my friend, if you understand Ephesians 4, 27, if you have a problem with, whoop, if you have a problem with anybody, I broke my neck right there. If you have a problem with anybody on this earth, that when they come into your presence, it angers you. It makes you inside begin to boil. You got a problem. It's called sin. Anger. And you seek for retaliation. You won't forgive them. You have just opened yourself up for Satan to come in with his demons and bring a foothold in your life. You can, you're the only one that can bring that thing back in, but you got to repent. Now, for someone that angers you, guess what you got to do? You got to forgive them. Man, I'll tell you right now, I, don't, I haven't met too many people that don't have somebody, when you mention that name, that they, I'm not forgiving that person, not what they did. Well, guess what? If you don't forgive them, you're going to have a foothold, a stronghold in your life, and you're opening yourself up for demon activity. You have to forgive them. You don't have a choice in this matter. You know what Jesus said? If you're not willing to forgive your brother here on this earth and, can, and, and admit and forgive them, then I will not. I will not forgive you, and I will not stand before you on that unfather. Forgiveness has to come in our heart. It don't matter what they've done to us. You know why you can't forgive other people? Because you're having a hard time forgiving yourself. Maybe when you were young, you got sexually abused. Maybe you ended up doing something and ended up incarcerated and you haven't forgiven yourself. Or maybe you, you come out of a, a relationship and, and the marriage went sour and, and you blame yourself and you haven't forgiven yourself. You can't and will not forgive anybody else until you, first of all, have learned to forgive yourself. You can't even receive forgiveness of Jesus. Even though he'll give it to you if you can't forgive yourself because you won't receive it. You'll live bitter. You'll live in resentment. You'll live with anger and it don't take nothing to pop it off on you. Matter of fact, you're carrying it on your shoulder. You ever heard a chip on your shoulder? <clears throat> you know how I know when people have a chip on their shoulder? If I find out what it was, I just bump it a little bit and I'll go, whoa! It just rares up. I go, you packing. You packing. And if you're packing, I know what's going on in your life. Because you're not going to open up demon activity just to take care of that. It's going to get you in other areas too. Well, let's think about this a minute. We all face sins that can easily hinder our spiritual progress, number one. We all face and have weak links. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say weak links? Some of you have lust issues today, especially you men. And you haven't closed the door on it. And when a hot chick walks by, you don't look just once. You look 39 times. You get a, you get a crick in your neck. By, by the way, that is lust. 
That ain't, and some say, well, that's normal. No, it ain't, if for, except for a sinner. <laughs> Somebody said, well, I ought to be looking at pretty women. No, you can see them one time, but if you turn around and you bust your chops or you're, then before long, I'm going to tell you what you're going to be doing. You're going to be on the internet and pornography. Because pornography and uncontrolled eyes and, and lust and desire, guys, you know this. And, and I, I don't know why I'm just preaching to the guys because some of you women are just as bad. While you may have both of your brains kicking in and, uh, and you, you, do, you demand a relationship, guys don't need a relationship. That's the difference. Women like, now, I, I say that, but there's some women that are hookers. They don't need, and somebody said, you shouldn't be using that from the pulpit. William, you use what the Bible says, call them prostitutes. It don't get any better. And if you really want me to get down to it, the Bible says they're whores. Now, that's what the Bible says. Some of, some of you can't take the Bible. That's your problem because you're caught up smack dab in the middle of the sin. You know what? Jesus simplified it, and I shared this two weeks ago, that if you have a lustful thought in your head, you've committed adultery. Now, now guys, it's serious because you open up your world and your intimate life for demon activity. If you think, if you think there's not... The demon of lust assigned to you when you are lustful, you might as well you're, you might as well wake up. You got to repent of that. Turn from that. Some of you here today, and you're all caught up with with all kind of lying. You know, is there anybody in here that don't worry? I mean, you don't worry. It don't bother you. Just just don't worry. You don't, you're not ever anxious. You never worry about anything. Anybody? So we got sin going on in our life. Because if you commit the sin of worry, it's just as bad as you commit the sin of adultery when it comes to God's eyes. You see, when we talk about strongholds, we're talking about some serious stuff here. And, and, and listen, your kids are being taught all kind of stuff at, at school they're not, first of all, they're not taught absolutes. They're not taught right from wrong. They're not taught that homosexuality is wrong. That's just an expression of your feelings. And if it hadn't changed, you're not taught that sex before marriage is wrong. Man, that was, that's all supposed to be for marriage. And so, what we look at all this stuff, we say, well, Satan's really not after. Well, let's look, listen to 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. You know what that word devour means? It means to gulp you down, to take you into darkness. You all ever been in the darkness as a believer? Look. You're already in darkness if you're, if you're unsaved. You know what it is to go in darkness when you no longer can hear God? 
when you no longer can feel closeness to God? Some of you are here and say, well, you just can't be a Christian and do that. Well, you're a dummy. You don't know what the Bible says. You need to shut up. Paul knows what he's talking about. There is a struggle. And if you're not careful and you lose that battle, I promise you, you'll go into darkness like you've never faced in your entire life. You will end up, if you're not careful, with demon activity, doing things that you never thought you would ever do in your life. Oh, does that come with consequences? Yeah, sometimes death. Don't think there's not a sin unto death in the Bible, y'all. Just continue on your little rebellious spirit. Continue on in your sin. Keep on just lusting. Keep on on those old computers and pornography. Eventually, you'll have an affair and your wife will leave you. Just go on. Keep on, buddy. You think you can control it? Nope. It's controlling you. It's controlling you. How? Demonically. And through your own lust. James says... Through our own lust are we led astray. Now, this isn't Joel Olstein preaching here. I understand that. I know I'm not preaching you how to fluff through the valley of the spiritual of darkness. I'm just telling you guys, Satan don't give a rip about you. He don't care about you. He just wants to kill you. He just wants to destroy you. He wants to take you out. He wants to divide your family. He don't want you loving your wife like they need loving. He doesn't want you wives loving your husband like you ought to love them. Because if you cloud up your mind in in darkness, I promise you, you won't love them. You can't love them. You can't. The same way. You say, well, Mike... What is a stronghold? Well, listen to 2 Corinthians 3, or 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk and live in the flesh, we, we are not carrying on the warfare according to the flesh and using mere weapons. Our weapons are for warfare are not physical. They're not flesh and blood. They're not human. But are mighty before God who will overthrow and destroy strongholds. What's a stronghold? The Bible says it's a mighty fortress. Now, Ephesians 4.27 is accurate, and I believe it is. If you give out territory for the enemy to build on, what is he going to build? He's going to build a fortress. That's biblical. And that fortress can only come down when you repent. What does that mean? That means quit lusting. That means quit drugging, drinking, fornicating, worrying, overeating, lying, cheating, cussing. You say it's against it. The Bible says that we ought not cuss. Well, just read the Bible. Gosh. If you'd read it, you'd see, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. You see... When it comes to a stronghold, he forms a beachhead. 
in its ground that we've already given over in our flesh to the enemy. And we have to be willing to take it back. It's an entrenchment. It's territory that will be held by the enemy until we take it back if we gave it over. Well, I just believe that Romans, what was it we read? Hebrews 12, 26 says that willful sin, there, if we're willful sinning, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Let me tell you something. First of all, you ain't no Jew. You might act like a Jew, but you ain't no Jew unless you're born one. And what Paul is referring to there has nothing to do with other than the Jew-Judaizers that were born again were trying to go back to the Old Testament law. They were going to try to go back under the sacrificial law. And when the Scripture says that there is, remains no more sacrifice for willful sin, what he's saying is there's no more sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus said, when I came, I am the ultimate sacrifice. And when I died on the cross, I forgave all your sin. That doesn't mean that you won't sin, but he's forgiven all of it. And we have to go to Jesus with it. So what's willful sin? Willful sin is deliberate sin. Deliberate sin is the sin that you're committing when you choose to sin. By the way, if you're a born-again believer, you are now a saint who chooses to sin. Don't go blaming on nobody else. Well, she took advantage of me. Ain't her fault. Shouldn't have been in that back seat anyway. Well, he took advantage of me. Then how about raising your shirt up instead of down? Why are y'all cutting it down for everybody to see? You You know what that is? It's called flesh. Have you ever noticed what happened in the Bible when Adam and Eve realized that they sinned? What did they immediately notice? They were naked. And what did God do? He clothed them. You know what we do? When we sin and we begin this, we want to take clothes off. Does that make any sense at all? Well, it does if you determine who is wanting you to do that. It's not the Father. It's Satan. Luke 4.18 says that Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and to preach deliverance to the captives and set them free. You know, the problem with you and I is that we have to be willing to admit what, uh, who is the problem. Someone said, within my earthly temple, there's a crowd. There's one of us that's humble, and there's one of us that's proud. There's one that's brokenhearted for sin, and then the other one is unrepentant, unrepentant and sits and grins. There's one who loves his neighbor as himself, but then there's one that cares for nothing but fame and self. From much corroding care, I should be free if I could just determine which one is me. I think it's, it's time that you need to decide who you are. You're either a king's kid or you belong to the enemy. You either belong to Jesus or you, or you belong to the enemy. And if you belong to Jesus, 
The struggle that's coming in your life has nothing to do with what Jesus has done. It has to do of what the enemy is coming, sending and tempting you with, and many of you giving in. You see, that's where the struggle comes. You ever notice that before you got saved, be honest with you, I didn't have problems with anything. I mean, I'd do about anything. It didn't bother me. I didn't have a guilty, guilty conscience about nothing. You want, you want to know why, right? Because Satan already had you. You were, a, you were his kid. You'll find that in the book of Ephesians. But when you and I get saved, the Bible says that all of a sudden we receive the divine nature of God. He comes in. The old man is dead. And Satan says, oh, but watch this, man. I'm going to take your flesh, and I'm going to tempt you with everything you've ever done in your past as a believer. And then we find out, like Paul, uh-oh, I'm in a struggle. Tony Evans said Wednesday night, and if you, if you man, I'm going to tell you something, guys. If you want to know, if you want to learn how to be victorious in this battle that you're in, you need to take up some time. Be here Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. I'm not trying just to get you here. I'm, I want you to hear some good stuff. I want you to hear how you can put on God's armor and you can put away a lot of that stuff that's coming against you. But honestly, when I got saved, I had, I had a filthy mind and a filthy mouth. And all of a sudden, God started convicting me. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wasn't nothing wrong with it before I got saved. Now, all of a sudden, I read in the Word of God what Jesus said. Oh, my Lord. Then I read in there about, about my language. Oh, my goodness. And I was, I've been a worry warrant, I believe, since I was born. I believe I worried about my mama having me. <laughs> and I know there ain't no worries in the house, right? Well, you want me to just pray that a paycheck don't come in this week and watch how bad you worry? You see, the problem Two golfers were discussing this problem in the clubhouse, and one of them looked at him and said, my handicap, he said, what's your handicap? He said, I'm going to tell you what my handicap is. My handicap is myself. (laughs) You know what your handicap is? It's you. You're the one choosing the lust. You're the one choosing the sin. You're the one doing all this stuff in the flesh. And if you think you're going to feel like you're a, a, a spiritual giant of Jesus, forget it. You won't, and you won't grow. That stuff don't mix. It only feels like an entanglement, an entrenchment. The detection of these strongholds, I mentioned a few of them, is bitterness. I think one of Satan's chief demons is bitterness. Man, so many Christians are just bitter. Did you see so-and-so the other day? They didn't even smile. They didn't even 
him talk to me. Well, you, know, you might ought to look at yourself. You may not be worth talking to. I mean, your attitude might be so bad, your pride stinks so bad, they don't want to talk to you. Are you humble? Do you love Jesus? You know, I love, I love to talk to people that are humble. Well, everybody walks, well, man, I'm the stud, boy. I'm a stud with the women want me. I, I, you know, my wife uh, used to say that about people that have long hair and beards riding Harleys. It's almost like they're saying, looking at women, yeah, they want me. No, they're just looking at you because you look so dumb. <laughs> 70 years old. Women don't want you. Get it out of your head. The one that wants you is the one that you're with. You got me? They want young men. They don't want old codgers. You get it? Man, we're crazy. We'll let, the, we'll let Satan mess with us so bad. Did you see that woman look at me? She wanted me. She did not. She was laughing about you. Don't let Satan deceive you. Ladies, pay attention to what God said. Dress right. You don't want your kids to have children before they get married. Then mamas, dress right. It ain't just a kid. Tell you what. My mom and dad told me about some things. Today, the problem is mamas ain't got any more convictions than the kids do. Can we bring all this junk down? You know what Hebrews eleven six says? It's impossible to please God without faith. If we're going to live by faith, we got to Think by faith, we have to walk by faith, and without it, you can't please God. And, and, and I'm telling you what, believers, you, you're here today, many of us, we say we love Jesus, but when it comes to a struggle and a fight, or it comes to a temptation, do we exercise faith? Or do we just cave and give in? Today, I believe just anything knocks people about going to church. They, they don't think it's important, yet Hebrews 10, 25 says we're not to forsake not ourselves assembling together. But yet, you know what? If I feel like it, I'll go. If I don't, oh, fooey. I got news for you, my brother. When you get to heaven, you will show up at worship. You won't be flippantly doing just what you want to do. When you want to do it, we ought to be developing a fellowship and attempting to develop a fellowship to where we need one another and that we love one another and that we care about one another. Is God still working? I believe He is. This week, one of your church members. 
Robin Duncan, was going for a simple defibrillator, a pacemaker. And the doctor knocked a hole in her heart. Immediately, she began to fill up her chest cavity with blood. This is Amber Adams, mama. And they started preparing her for open heart surgery. Now, can you, do you get the picture here? We're talking about a, a device being put into the chest. And, a, and in less than 30 minutes, they're talking about open heart surgery. They're getting her ready. I got that text that I prayed, and, and, and all of a sudden, they hit their knees in prayer and begged God, please, no. And all of a sudden, the blood stopped flowing. Immediately. And so she is probably coming home today. On the other hand, think there are things like Miss Diane Pringle, who's been in the hospital for two weeks. I got to see her Saturday. She's depressed. And it seems like the doctors are having difficulty dealing with her. And let me tell you something. Life sometimes looks like a miracle, and then sometimes life just looks like a mess when it don't go our way. When we do struggle, when things aren't nice little package to describe. And I'll tell you what, life's tough. I, t- I tell everybody all the time when they get saved, if you think that you're going, not going to come under a, a lot of pressure from the enemy, becoming a believer is not for sissies. I hear people, I've heard people say, and I've even said it when I was a kid, I don't believe he ain't nothing but a sissy. I'm telling you what, Christian life hadn't, for me, hadn't been anything about being a sissy. It's been about being a man, a spiritual man. Tell you something else ain't for sissies either, growing old. I wished I could stop that. Growing old ain't for sissies. Amen, old folk. And my hand's up. You see it, right? I, I like it when I'm sitting around talking. Now you'll get people in a talk, and they'll talk about somebody being old. I said, well, how old are they? They're 62. I go, well, I know how you feel about me. They go, what do you mean? You're not old. I said, I'm 62. You know, that's how we do. We get, you, that, that guy's he's old. I get to dragging around, and I feel like good. Not I'm old. But I ain't dead. You hear me? And Satan is coming at all of us. And he, can we, can we destroy these strongholds? If you're willing, the third point is destruction. If you're willing to, to acknowledge it, you're willing to say, Mike, you know what my stronghold is? You know what it is that eats my lunch more than anything else? Because there'll be number one. Once you get past number one, guess what you face? Number two. If you think it's only one, forget it. The problem is you're dwelling on the one, and right now, rightfully so, but if you will pull the ground out from under it, repent of it, and get serious with God, because if you don't, the enemy's going to come and mess you up doubly bad, and you get serious about it, there's going to be another one right behind it. If you guys have a lust issue and you get to dealing with that and say, you know what, God, I, I want to I 
I want, I want help here. I want you to, I want to confess it. I want to repent of it. I want to pull it back. I, I want to bring it back into submission of God in my life. Number two is coming, but let's get number one handled first. Some of you need to do that right this morning. Because you see, I don't know what your stronghold is, but I know you got one. I don't know what you're willfully sinning about, but I know you are. So what is it? Two weeks ago, I asked you to write number one on a cup and bring and give it to God. I promise you, the minute you did that, that next week, ooh, I guarantee you, you got challenged. I did. And every time I deal with anything about the enemy, you're going to be challenged. You can't stay out of it. It's just going to come. Now, if you want to be here and you want to just say, yeah, I'm going to believe I'm saved, uh, but I'm going to live like hell. Boy, you're an idiot. Because you're going to take a beating like you ain't ever seen before as a true believer. Sin comes with consequences. Don't ever think it don't. And sin always, unconfessed, produces more sin. You got to deal with it. And it progressively gets worse. With your head bowed.